0: The story is told of a young African boy who came to the United States to go to uh, college. And he had a great opportunity to do that. And so when he got to the campus, he looked around and he was a little bit disoriented. He'd never been on a place like that before. He'd come from sort of the backwoods of Africa. And as he walked around, he noticed that there was an oval track, and that there were some young men running around the track. so he asked one of the one of his buddies there he said uh, what what is that?" and he said oh that's that's our that's our team they're practicing uh, uh, for a race and he said, "Well, can anybody?" running that race and he said well i i don't know you'd have to talk to the coach and so the coach of the track team was standing out beside the track there talking to some people he walked up to the coach and he said "Uh, i'm i'm just new here Uh, but he said i understand that you have a team a racing team here and he said can anybody run on this on this team and he said well if you can run, he said, you could you can try out. He said, "Can you run?" He said, "Where I come from, you have to run for your life." He said, "Yeah, I can run." And he said, "Well, you go into the gym there and put on some shorts and you come back out and we'll we'll see if you can run." So, he came back out and the coach wasn't too observant, but he said just go out there and run around the track. So he ran around the track and coach began to watch him. And he had a great stride and he had great speed and he went around that track pretty fast. Uh, coach got his stopwatch out and he said Could you do that again? he said. And so he timed him this time. Two seconds better than the state record. He said, you can be on my team, he said. (laughs) So the coach had great expectations, and it was a great year, and things went along pretty good. They came down to the last event, and it was his event. And he just knew they were going to take the state championship that year. They got their ace in the hole. And so the starting pistol went off, and the runners took off, and the runners started pulling away. From, from this guy, he, he looked like he was running in molasses. I mean, he just couldn't get it going, you know. And they were getting further and further away. And, and all of a sudden, about the last quarter of the run, it looked like you put him in a cannon and just fired him out. He just started going like he'd never gone before. And barely won the race, but he won the race. And afterwards, the, the coach said to him, he said, "...what in the world was wrong with you? I never saw you run like that before." He said, "...I, I, I don't know." He said, I, I, "...I just couldn't get it going." He said, I, "...I just couldn't get my feet up." And he said, "...well, what did you do?" He said, "...well, I prayed." And he said, "...well, what did you pray?" He said, "...I prayed, Lord..." If you pick them up, I'll put them down. And he said, The Lord started picking them up so fast, I could hardly get them down, he said. Maybe that's what we need to pray sometime. Lord, you pick them up, and I'll put them down. if you're just joining us, our theme for the week is the Christian race. And we are in Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to read the first three verses for you. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. We have suggested that it is a race that God sets before us, that this race has a beginning and an ending. It begins at the place called Calvary, and it ends with our homegoing or with His homecoming. (laughs) He will come or we will go, but the race will end then. Uh, It is a race in which we have to run. We must exert ourselves. It is a race that we have to run according to the rules. It is a race that we have to run with patience. And we have tried to cover those points to some degree and to share the way that is set before us. This morning what we want to look at is the great cloud of witnesses that are before us. Let's read verse 1 again. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, and he gives us direction. We want to think this morning for a bit about the witnesses. Now, some have suggested... Uh, that chapter 11 in Hebrews are probably the witnesses, that is, within the context of the book or the context of this particular chapter. Chapter 11 is a list of men and women of faith. If you had a mind to do so, and most of us do, we could dig up enough dirt on most of the people listed in chapter 11 to disqualify them from the race. They were people like you and I, with the exception of a couple of which they didn't either live long enough (laughs) on earth to make very many mistakes or whatever. But most of the people made as many mistakes as you and I make. And yet, in chapter 11, God doesn't record those mistakes. It is a chapter of faith. It is a chapter of those who dared believe God in the face of their own weakness, in the face of adversity, in the face of impossibilities. They dared believe God. And God in His gracious character records for us the list of men and women of faith. Great! Wonderful! I have also heard that it is possible that the great cloud of witnesses in chapter 12 and verse 1 refers to those who have gone on before us, and now they sit in the bleaches of the great Colosseum in heaven. And there we are in the arena. And we're working our way around. We're working out our salvation, not for our salvation. We are running the race, and they're cheering us on. I don't think that's what it's talking about, myself. But I know some people take that position. And they are watching us. Maybe they do. (laughs) Maybe they don't. I'm not sure. Let me suggest an alternative um, way to think about these witnesses. first of all, in our text, it says that there is a great cloud of witnesses. I suppose that would mean a great number. Uh, a, a, a cloud, the word cloud can represent throngs or uh, or many. But if we just took it literally for a moment and we thought about a cloud, not too many clouds around here today, but even the absence of the cloud would tell us something. But, but a cloud um, it, on occasion can give you shade from the sun, and very welcome shade on a hot day. A cloud can also warn us. How many of us have not been out camping like this and we hear in the distance a thunder and then we look and all of a sudden there's, are you with me, a dark cloud. And you go, boy, we better get our stuff together. It's coming. So clouds could predict things for us. Um, Clouds might be storm clouds. Clouds might be beautiful shade clouds. Uh, They may be... Rain clouds, uh, for which we need in a in a dry uh, in, in a dry year, um, clouds could also be fearful clouds because they might bring so much rain that uh, our rivers and streams would fill up and flood and and cause us to be fearful. Clouds. Now, if we thought of these witnesses, this great cloud of witnesses couldn't they do the same? Couldn't these witnesses give us directions along the way? Couldn't these witnesses per, perhaps in some way predict what is going to happen? I mean, as we watch, and we could go back to chapter 11. It's not my, my intent to do that. But as we go back to chapter 11, and as we took each one of these individuals aren't they witnessing to us something of the race they ran? I mean, can't we look at their life and be somewhat encouraged along the way, either to benefit by their victories or to learn by their mistakes? I think so. A great cloud of witnesses. Listen to the Scriptures. We won't turn there, but listen to the Scriptures uh, in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. Now, all these things happen unto them, Old Testament examples, for samples are examples, and they are written for our admonition. There you go. Rather than them witnessing us, we witness them. They are great witnesses around us, showing us the way to run. Listen to this. Romans fifteen four. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Dear folks, that's what I believe the Scriptures are talking about. That there is a great cloud of witnesses. You want to do a great study? Go back and start. Just pick them out. There they are in Hebrews chapter 11. Write their names up. Go back and gather the material and learn from those people written for our admonition and for our learning. Many witnesses... Have gone before us. Now, <clears throat> I also want you to think with me like this. Do you ever feel like you're the only one in the race? <laughs> you think, I, I, I mean, you wouldn't have any people like this in California, but I meet people in other places, and I just call them Mimi Birds with Eye Problems. Everything's about me. Just me, me, and I, I. And you say, well, you know, uh, I had an operation, and it was pretty bad. Well, I'm going to tell you, I had an operation bigger than your operation, you know. And oh, and then here we go. Just, you know, some people, you just don't ask them how they feel. I mean, you just don't do that. Because you got to be prepared for about a 30-cup coffee maker, and here we go. Like, you know. But sometimes, realistically, we just feel like we're in a race by ourselves. We can't, we, we can't see anybody else. You know, in the Gospel accounts, it's kind of interesting, many of us would remember the, the story of uh, the Lord Jesus and His disciples crossing the Sea of Galilee. It's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of the Gospels. It's an interesting story. But Mark alone injects into that story of the crossing of the Sea of Galilee with the storm. You remember, they were almost uh, swamped with water, and the Lord said, Peace, and be still, and calmed the whole thing. Mark adds something that Matthew and Luke leave out. And it's this. There were other little ships also. It wasn't just the ship that the disciples were in with the lord jesus there were other little ships on that sea that day sometimes i sometimes i believe we think we're so unique in our race or our circumstance of life or our particular trial of life that we actually think nobody else has ever gone through this before hmm Well, the Lord puts it like this. There is no temptation that has taken you that is not common to man. (laughs) You won't be the first one to be on this race with potholes along the pathway. And you won't be the last one. And to us only is the circumstance unique. But there's always other runners on the path. There are always other runners along the way. Oh, you might not be able to see them. They might be just over the hill in front of you or in the valley behind. But they're running too. And we're not alone. The witnesses speak to us of that. You're running down a trail where others have trod. One person put it like this. They thought their feet were the first feet to go to the cemetery to bury their own. That's how real it is to us at the time. But as they approached the gravesite, they saw others returning from burying their own. There is nothing unique about us other than the love of God and what it cost Him to buy us through the death of His Son. But we're common. We're alike. We're all, if you're a believer this morning, we're all running down the road. We're all along the way. But we've got witnesses. God, help us to take advantage of the great cloud of witnesses. Let me tell you something else about these witnesses. These witnesses will help you do things you think you cannot do. Give you an illustration. A uh, number of years ago, there was a little town in in Ontario that didn't have a that didn't have a Christian witness in it. Little sawmill town, six hundred people. And a couple from the assembly that we were fellowshipping with at that time had to move to that little town. He was a worker in a mine, and that was the closest little community, and so they had to move to that town. So they said to me, Joe, could could you come over and have a Bible study with us in our home? And so I was glad to do that. And the first person within about six months that came to that Bible study and got saved was the local game warden. Now, everybody in northern Ontario knows that guy. You know, I mean, it's crazy. You know, they got you have a game warden, and he's got about I don't I don't know how many thousands of acres this guy's supposed to look after. You know, but everybody knows him. This guy got genuinely saved. And uh, the long and the and the short of the story is, there's a little testimony there now. Twenty two, twenty-three years later, and that game warden is an elder in that little testimony in that, six, in that little community of six hundred people. We've become extremely good friends over the years. I don't live in that area anymore, but we we keep up with one another. On, on one occasion, you know, he's a he's guy, he knows where all the good fishing spots are. Oh, I like that connection. I like that, you know. So he said to me, he said, "Listen, I know you're coming over. You're going to be in the area." He said, Would "You like to go fishing?" I, said, man, I love to go fishing. And he said, "Okay," and he said, uh, "You come over and we'll go fishing." Now this is in April, in northern Ontario, and we still got ice on the lakes. Okay, so we're going ice fishing, but in April and some of the smaller lakes, the. Um, the, the 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 ice begins to melt. It always melts first around the shore because the land uh, holds the heat. And so uh, they begin to melt around the shore. So we go out ice fishing, and I got a pack sack, he's got a pack sack. We got our ice fishing gear. Everything's good, you know. We get out of the truck. We walk up to the lake. We get to the lake, and we notice a part of the shore is melted, and, and there's water about this far. Some of the ice is still there, he takes an ice chisel, it's about four feet long, five feet long, made out of steel with a point on it. He takes an ice chisel out. And uh, I said, what you going to do with that? He said, you just watch. And then he pulls a rope out of his pack sack. It's about 30 feet long. He ties a rope around his waist. He gives me the other end. He said, you tie this around your waist. And he had to only tell me one time, You step where I step, he said. And that guy took that ice chisel, and he walked around that lake, and he thrust it down onto that ice. Went right through. He walked a little bit further, and he put that chisel like this, and he went, tink! That's where he put his foot. Right through. Tink! That's where he put his foot. And when that 30-foot rope stretched out, then I had to remember where he stepped. But I tell you, you can you can remember pretty good when you've got to remember, you know. Now, why am I telling you this story? Listen to me. I would never, ever, in my fondest of my imagination, would I ever have tried that. I just wouldn't do that. But I saw him do it, and I did it. This is what these witnesses are all about. Men of valor. Men of faith. Men of courage. Weak, frail human beings that would dare believe God. Incredible, these witnesses. On another occasion, <laughs> I was fishing with a guy and we went up to a falls. Something like, where are these falls? No, it wasn't like those falls. But I'm going to tell you, there was enough falls that if that if you failed, you were gone. Like, you were downstream, down the river. I mean, I don't think you'd survive. And we got to the place. Of course, the good fishing's on the other side of the falls, right? Always, you know. And he said, we, we can't get across. It was too far to jump. It was just a big gush coming through. He ran somewhere. I don't know. It took him about 15 minutes. He came back. He had a two-by-six plank about eight feet long. And he took that plank and he wedged it in on a rock right here and he just dropped it over on the other side over there. And before I could say, what are you doing? He made two steps and he was on the other side. said, man, if that thing, if it slipped, if it gave way, you're washed down that river, you're gone. And before I could think whether I was going to do it or not, I was on the other side. I would never have tried that. But I saw him do it. My wife still thinks I'm crazy to do that kind of stuff. And I probably am. What's my point? Somebody else did it. Somebody else believed God. Somebody else prayed. Somebody else trusted. Somebody else, in the face of an impossible situation, they did it. Listen, that's what these witnesses are about. Uh, Go with me to Daniel chapter 1, please. Book of Daniel, chapter 1. I'm going to give you three examples that I hope will help you to learn a little bit about what we can learn from these witnesses. Daniel chapter 1. Most of us know the context. Young man taken prisoner of war out of... uh, 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 out of uh, Israel, or wasn't Israel out of uh, Jerusalem at the time? Brought back to Babylon, prisoners of war, and uh, uh, not given very much right at all. Uh, chosen because they were healthy specimens; they were uh, their countenance was fair, they looked uh, smart, they were intelligent, they could learn. But notice what Daniel says in verse eight of chapter one. Now, I want to call your attention to something else, not only what Daniel is doing, but I want you to watch the, the singular personal pronoun. Okay? Watch this. But Daniel purposed in his heart, singular pronoun, that he, singular pronoun. We're talking about one person now. We're talking about one person. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he, one, Daniel, requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Let let me just say that in the beginning of this wonderful story of how God is going to use not only Daniel, but his friends, these three friends, Daniel made a decision that could have easily cost his life. I don't know who Daniel's parents were, but I'm going to tell you, they put something in the heart of that young man that all of Babylon couldn't take out. He said the word is purposed. uh, You you and I would know that word like this. I am set in concrete. You can fillet me alive. I am not moving. You couldn't, you couldn't make me do it. You couldn't move me with bulldozers. I'm set. I am, I, I am here. I have purposed in my heart what? That he wouldn't defile himself. Oh God, give us young men like that. They won't defile themselves. Give us young women like that. You want a witness? You want somebody to pattern your life after? Take Daniel. He purposed in the face of adversity, in the face of an impossible situation, no rights, captive, slaves, prisoners. No, I won't do it. I will not do it. I want you to notice that it wasn't long after he began to negotiate with the prince of the eunuchs that we find a plural personal pronoun in verse 14. Notice uh, uh, yeah, verse 14, So he consented to them. The way I picture this whole thing is like this. They're in a really difficult situation. They're asked to do some things that, if I could so put it like this, against their religion. (laughs) Daniel said, no, I won't do it. I I, I purpose my heart, I won't. I will not defile myself with the king's meat, nor with the wine. I won't do it. I'm taking a stand. And after Daniel takes the stand, there are three of his buddies, three young men. They come up and they say, we won't either. But somebody had to take the stand first. Do you see what I'm saying? We're always wanting somebody else to do it. Always wanting somebody else to step up. Always wanting somebody else to volunteer. Sometimes God wants you to be the point man. Sometimes God wants you to take the stand so that others could have the courage. Let me tell you what these witnesses are doing for us who are running the race. They're the point men. They're taking the stand. And they're saying, Come on, guys. Come on. We can do it. Daniel purposed in his heart. And then I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Daniel purposed in his heart. And I want you to know what the Apostle Paul would say he's going to be a point man for us now he's going to be a witness for us now that we can run the race in light of watching what he has done First Corinthians chapter two and verse one brethren when I came to you I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God for I determined there's another strong words like purposed I have determined. I am resolved. I am fixed. Uh, You are not going to change my mind. I have determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you, notice, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says, listen, I'm not coming in like a spiritual John Wayne. I'm not coming in with tanks and bazookas. I'm not coming in with, uh, with my intelligence overpowering you with words of man's wisdom and man's persuasion. I come in the demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God, and I determine I would not come any other way. Give God glory. Why can't we follow that? You say, well, I'm not very smart and I don't have very many gifts at It's okay. That's better. It gives God more glory. You know what they said about the disciples? They were just fishermen. That's all they were. How would they know these things? They've been with Jesus. That's how. Could you say with Daniel, I purpose... Could you say with Paul I'm determined these men great men of God frail vessels of flesh go back now to Hebrews 11 and verse 23 Hebrews 11:23 by faith Moses when he was born was hid 3 months of his parents because they saw you was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, watch it again now, he, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, notice, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming, the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. By faith he were still singular, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he, a singular Moses, endured as seeing him who is invisible. 28, through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest the destroyer Uh, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. But look at verse 29. By faith, they, (laughs) they, he influenced over a million people. One man, a witness before us. Folks, a lot of witnesses have gone on. And they haven't been perfect but they've trusted God. And these men and women of faith testify that you and I can do it by the grace of God. How many Old Testament saints could we mention? How many New Testament saints could we mention? How many Christians uh, of the 18th and 19th centuries have you read their books and their biographies? How many missionary stories have you heard Uh, How many personal contacts have you made? There are people in your life who are encouraging you to go on. Time would not permit for me to go much further, but let me finish by saying this. We were keeping two preachers in our home about 25 years ago. And uh, I... uh, I had to go down there was uh, we had two rooms in the basement of our house, uh, and they were staying in those two rooms. I had to go down to do something that night unannounced uh, late at night. I just what, my study was in the basement. I went down to get something out of my study, and I couldn't notice the door uh, was open just a little bit and there was a night light on and and one of these preachers was was there in that room, on the floor. bowed down. I never forgot that. It impacted my life. Here's an old man with his face to the ground praying to his God. I never forgot that. He was one of the great cloud of witnesses in my life. You've got them like that. They have fine-tuned you. They have challenged you. They have instructed you. They have encouraged you. Thank God for the great cloud of witnesses around us. I trust this morning that you might remember you are not alone. You're not alone. There are many runners, and there are others who have already crossed the finish line, whose faith follow, the Scriptures say. Let's pray. Lord, take from these scattered thoughts some nugget, some truth, some way that we can be encouraged this morning never to give up. That We join this great cloud of witnesses, and may we be witnesses to others behind us, on the road, on the race, for Christ's sake. Amen.